Um, I'm going to talk about perspective today, and I, I have a picture to show you that I think will visually do it. We have a family. I have four sons, uh, very grateful and love them. So there's four boys. Uh, I make the fifth boy, uh, depending on days. I don't get to be man. I get to be boy because it depends on what we're fighting over. And even our ridiculously lame dog that we found is a boy. So my wife pretty much squares off with six cases of testosterone each day. Who like to argue who gets to control everything from what we're going to have to eat to who holds the remote. And um, so it's always a, a lot of fun. So I want to show you uh, just this thing about perspective as a parent for just a minute. Um, art. Art when you have children versus art when it's not your child. So if you look at this piece of art and you say to yourself, I, I, I must have that. It has touched me in a deep um, artistic aura way and that is the kind of art that I want in my room. I can arrange that for you. Um, but as a parent, I can look at that art and I'm going to feel different about it. I'm going to look at it and maybe I remember the age of the artist. Maybe I remember the time, or maybe I remember them just being so proud of what they did. So my feeling about the art and your feeling about the art may not be the same. However, if you'll go to the next picture, you'll discover that a new perspective takes place when the medium that the artist chose was my car door and their instrument of choice was a rock. And if you look right here, right below the silver, you can see the Picasso turned criminal trying to escape. <laughs> and strangely enough, our reaction and perspectives to this art are different. I don't recall laughing as much as some of you did. And yet there's one final piece. That was years ago. And so now I do look at it and kind of laugh. But I didn't then. Um, in, in fact, I think that the one escaping had to escape for several hours, if I recall correctly. But, but perspective can sometimes change. And so really what kind of started this for me, what kind of kicked this off was, you know, I'm going to speak to the adults for a minute. You know adults when you're around children and they get very upset about something and you just look at them and go, why are you upset about this? And you've tried everything from, no, 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 it's okay, let me dance in front of you, let me, let me hold your hand, I'll buy you a new popsicle, we'll go get another ice cream, there's more ice cream in the world, the one that just hit the ground is not the be-all and end-all. Or, or maybe even you get older and you look at someone and you go, oh, I remember, I wish that the worst problem in my life right now was what I faced when I was in fifth grade. I wish that the worst problem I have right now was back when, and, and we all do this, we're in high school, we remember fondly junior high. Then we get to college or a career early in our career, and we remember, oh, do you remember? Oh, don't you wish that was our biggest problem? And then you get a little older, and you're like, I have four children. Remember when my biggest problem was? And, and so sometimes when someone's going through something, it's real easy to look at it and go, I would love for that to be my only problem. But what you're bringing is your years and your experiences and all the things that have made you you to realize that that problem has a different scale of power than it did then. 
I mean, I, we've all, I, I have, like I said, have four great boys. And, and, you know, you've either got your own children or you've babysat or you've been around. And you've seen children lose their mind over something that makes no sense at all. And you're thinking, why have you lost your mind on this? And it's, you know, you know the old expression, cry over spilled milk? Hang out with some kids. You'll understand what's happening. I've watched kids knock the milk over. It's guggling and gurgling and guzzling all over the floor. And all we're doing is looking at it going, it's spilled. Could we do that while we're mopping some of it up or at least pick up the carton? But again, the problems, the perspective of the problem changes. So that was what this idea of perspective was. So if you were to kind of look at a definition, it talks about it's the capacity to see things in their true or relative importance. And I think that as Christians, one of the most important things we can do is really get a godly perspective. In other words, how do we see things the way God sees them? And, and that's really kind of where we're trying to work through today is how do I see things the way God sees them? And, and why is that even important? Well, let me kind of start with that last piece first. Why is it important? Um, you know, Scripture is going to tell us the things we need in life, all of that. But I do think there are sometimes that there's other writers and other people who can capture it really well. And so um, there's a quote by A.W. Tozer, who's kind of famous for the things that he writes and sees, uh, says about our faith. And he says this, nothing twists or deforms the soul more than a low or an unworthy conception of God. Now, if that sounds a little flowery, what it basically comes down to is, is if I have a low or a, a wrong conception of God, that's going to twist my soul all the time. I mean, I'm not honoring God because I don't have that right. But what's even more impactful for me is if I don't have the right idea of God, my soul gets twisted. My life is twisted and it, it, it deforms and, and just corrupts my soul. So if we don't have things from a godly perspective, if we don't see things, if we don't make ourselves try to see things the way God sees things, then that begins, begins to be what happens. So um, I, I think, well, all right, then how does God see things? And so first scripture just to share with you today is in Mark chapter 12, 30, 31. And, and I don't always like to jump around with scriptures just because I think it's nice sometimes to run through a you know, a context and a, and a particular chapter together and, and take it that way. But we're going to jump around a little bit today. And so um, in Mark 12, 30 and 31, the situation is some people have asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You know, how do, you know of all the commandments, you know, and, and what's going on here? And some people were trying to catch Jesus and trip him up. And some people just wanted to know, Jesus, what, what is the greatest commandment? And so Jesus says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then he goes on to say right after that, and then to love others or love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, "There's no, in, in these, no commandment is greater. These are the two. And he, in some areas he says, this fulfills all the law. So if you want to know how God sees things, it's, it's pretty simple. God first. Others as yourself. That's how it goes. Love God first, put God first, love others as yourself. 
and, and I know we could spend a lot of time talking about, well, you know, love, and, 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 and those are good things to talk about, but I would just say that here's, here's the key. Whenever ourselves become the main focus, we're not seeing it rightly. And that's tough. And, and, and let me just pause and say, because I do realize that everybody here brings a different set of circumstances. This is not a justification for you to continue down a path of martyrdom if you're being hurt. It's not a justification for you to be um, putting yourself in dangerous situations. What it is is to simply say that when I'm trying to figure out how to love and see things the right way, if I'm putting God first and I'm putting others before myself, or at least, if you notice, as myself, so kind of some equality there, then I'm going to be on the right path. But anytime I'm not doing that, I've gotten off that path. So if I can love God first and foremost, and that's what I do first, I'm going to see things the way God sees them, or at least I have the opportunity to. If I'm putting myself first, then you're going to get, to be honest with you, a whole lot of stuff that we get in our culture today. You ought to do this because you deserve it. You ought to do this because it's right for you. And so, again, I do realize there are people who can take that and say, well, I should never take care of myself or anything like that. That's not what God is saying. What God is saying is you love God first. You see God first in things. Where is God in the things you're going through? How do I put him first in the things I'm going through? How do I take care of other people first? I mean, second, as myself. And when we do that, that's the perspective, I think, that he really um, strives for us to see. So to me, I mean, that's, I can read that and I can say that. But, but there's, some, there's a, a second point here that I think really undergirds the whole thing. And to be honest with you, it's kind of one of the main things I felt like would be good to share. And I think it's this, if I'm trying to get this perspective, what do I have to know? And I think the first thing you have to know is that God is good. If, you know, and, and I've, I've been in, in, in churches and places, and we do try to, we try to, I heard some people say amen, which, you know, appreciate that. In a really good way, we try to take God as good and, and use that in a very good way to remind ourselves of it. You know, for example, I've, I've been in places where you'd say God is good and someone would say all the time and then other people would say all the time God is good. And, and the idea is that's true. The idea we want to stress is that God is good. And I, I really think that one thing we have to do is ask ourselves, do you really think God is good? It's kind of like when you're in class and the teacher says, do you have any questions? Here's the educator part of me. Hey, do you have any questions? Nobody raises their hand. Oh, we're good to go. Let's get the assignment going. Five minutes into the assignment, and my teachers were already shaking their heads. Nobody has a clue what's going on, but nobody was going to say a word about it. You, you, you get that. I used to say you would teach, and you'd have that moment where you're looking at the audience, and it's that moment that the sound only the dog hears in people's face because their heads go like this. And it's just quiet. And you realize... Nobody knows what's going on right now. The other thing is sometimes we're kind of afraid to admit some things. Is God good? 
Yes, God is good because we're in church and God is good. I just wonder for Job when they first informed him of what happened to his family. Job is God good. It's kind of tough. So I have a couple scriptures to put up there because um, they're not necessarily the, the be all and end all of God is good. But I think a, an important part of establishing that God is good is knowing in scripture that God is good. So the verses today, I'm going to be honest with you, I, maybe they'll speak to you. And, and it's just really a sampling of that God is good. And that's the purpose. So I've got three of them. Uh, from Psalm. Um, one is from Psalm 107.1. It just says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God is good. If you look up God is good in the Bible or a Bible app, you're going to find a bunch, of, a bunch of verses. This is just a starting place. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 34.8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So in the first verse, you get a feeling of, hey, God is good. His love endures forever. There's a connection there. Now we've got this taste and see that the Lord is good. It's kind of a physical connection, you know, tasting and seeing. But it's also that, that engaging of your senses. So there's this idea that God's goodness and love, God's goodness in engaging you in your senses... And then in, um, just so we have a New Testament reference, uh, reference, in Mark 10, 18, Jesus says, you know, no one is good but one. That is God. And that's kind of that sovereignty good. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, when we do comparisons, have you ever noticed that when you try to compare yourself to people, you usually pick someone you're better than than someone you're not? And what I mean by that is if, you, if you're talking about people and say, hey, are you a good person? Usually, especially people who aren't Christians, they'll say, oh, you know, it's not like I go out and murder people. Uh, you know, it's not like I've robbed 42 banks. You know, I'm not this person or that person. But it's very interesting that we don't immediately choose someone who's kind of held in virtue. It's not like, we, I'm a pretty good person. You remember that Sister Teresa? I could take her, you know, that kind of thing. No, we, we tend to try to establish what that, what that is by making sure that we're better than the standard. But in this case, God is good, and, and we're not. Now, that doesn't mean we can't do good things, and that doesn't mean that we don't rely on him. But it does mean it was just establishing. There's this idea of his love, and that's his goodness. There's this idea of this physical connection of tasting and seeing, the senses. And then there's just this idea of position. There's a lot more verses, and, and maybe none of these connected directly. But the idea is that God is good. And if you don't know that, and you don't feel that, then here's what happens. Every minute of your life and every event in your life is a moment-by-moment -moment indictment of you. In other words, I can't have a flat tire because a tire went flat. It had to go wrong because... God's out to get me. It had to go wrong because I screwed up and did something wrong. Everything is an indictment of my life every moment of the day if God is not good. Why? Because if God is good, is it possible I could still get a flat tire? 
Is it possible I could lose a job that I really, really wanted and prayed about and thought was the right path? Is it possible that some things even more tragic could happen to me? Because if God's not good, then here's what happens. Every moment is moment by moment living in fear, living in worry, living in constant struggle of do I count? Am I good enough? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? What's wrong with life? Why do people treat me this way? And guess what happens to your heart and your soul? Well, like Tozer said, you, you have a low concept of God and your soul pays the price. You begin to have that corruption, that deformity, that twist. There's no peace. There is no peace because we've all been there. Let's just be honest. There's not a person here, I don't think, who hasn't experienced something and thought, oh, great. Why, God? Why me? And, you know, what's really ironic and bad, and and, the the great philosopher Weird Al Yankovic, for those of you who are kind of saying, yeah, he had a song, and it was basically this parody. If you don't know him, you know, maybe you're not missing anything. Maybe you are. But um, it was a parody. It was called, it was basically, why does this always happen to me? And he was talking about, here I am on this bridge, and there's this terrible accident, and now I'm going to be 20 minutes late to work. And so the whole idea is that the perspective of why me isn't even really the tragedy going on. It's how it impacts me. I mean, I'm in the fast food line at Jack in the Box, and I've had to wait 10 minutes. Why me? You know, that kind of thing. Of course, if you have four boys in the back who are unhappy, you begin to at least give a little grip. But, but this idea is this. If God is not good, if he's not good, then everything Everything is a battle constantly. And for those of you who've worked and done things in your life and you've gone through stressful things, you know that when everything is stressful and you never get a breath of air, that grinds you. And it grinds you down. And here's the the real tragedy of the whole moment. If I don't really believe God is good... And I'm getting worn down by why did this happen and why did that happen and why always me? Because I don't think he's really good. Am I really going to go to him? Am I really going to say, man, I really need help, God. I don't understand why it's always happening to me, but please help me. Our soul gets twisted. So think just, just as a great example, Old Testament, Joseph. Joseph you know, kind of had a little arrogance about him when he was kind of younger, would tell his dad, yeah, I had some dreams where you're all going to bow down to me. Probably not the thing to tell your dad, speaking as a dad. Um, But think about his life. His brothers throw him in a pit. Most of his brothers have agreed to the plan would be good to kill him. The benevolent brother says, no, no, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him and send him to another country. So he goes to another country. He's been betrayed by his brothers. They've told his dad that he's dead, so he has nobody with him. He's alone. He goes to another country. He's being basically a servant. As life goes on, he has the opportunity to have an affair with a married woman. Says, no, I can't do that. That's not what God would have me do. I'm not going to do it. Good job, Joseph. You're doing the right thing. That's what God wants from you. How was he rewarded? She said he did it anyway, and he goes to jail. 
Now, I am a human who says, if I'm sitting in jail, at some point when I'm taking stock, I'm going, uh, thrown in a pit, everybody thinks I'm dead, thrown into a country I don't want to be in, tried to do the right thing, and ended up in jail anyway. Is God good? If I don't already believe that and know that, I'm going to have a tough time convincing myself of that. So I think if, if I don't know that God is good, then the bottom line is everything goes back to me. Everything. It has to. And yet the first thing we talked about was God says, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. God first. Love others as yourself. Others. But right now where I'm living, everything's about me. That's, that's not where God wants me to be. And again, I'm going to say this because I just know certain people. There's certain people who don't take care of themselves or who think, I've got to be the martyr. I've got to do everything for everybody else. Understand, that's not saying that you. We, we have someone who died for us. You don't have to die for us. Okay? So don't have to live under that kind of thing. But in general, we need to remember that. So to me, the other thing of knowing God is good, it, we kind of demonstrated. You've got to know some scriptures. You've got to see that God is good. You've got to have some things to put your hand on. And so everybody that I know, you know, uh, I'm a huge sports fan. And, and in the um, days when I was growing up watching a lot of sports, you'd always see someone holding up a sign, especially when they went to go, I love football. So when they'd kick field goals or, or extra points, there'd always be that one guy who seemed to have tickets to every game. And he'd hold up John 3.16. And not only was that great, but I thought I'd kind of like to have tickets to every game. That'd be good too. But that scripture is very, very, very big. And in sports and maybe everywhere, I will tell you another scripture that's very big is Philippians 4.13. I see so many kids with letter jackets that'll say, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or through, you know, Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And it's a great verse. It really is. It's an amazing verse. But I would say that there's a small problem with it, and that's that I don't think we always read verse 4.12 first. And 4.12 goes with it. It's just from Philippians, Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. I've been hungry, and I've gone with, it, and I've had plenty to eat. So every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, now I can do all things through Christ Jesus, who strengthens me. So it's true when we are victorious, Jesus was there, but we forget. The first part of that verse that says, hey, I know what it's like to be victorious, and I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to be hungry, and I know what it's like to have plenty. That is also about knowing God. And if we don't know God, and, and we don't learn more and more about him and what he thinks and what he says, then the problem is you can take that verse and, and just think about it. If I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me, and that's a, a great verse, but that's just what I hold on to, just that piece. What happens if what you were trying to do doesn't happen? I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. Yes, 
I'm sorry, you didn't get the job. Well, I did because I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. Did you, did you read the verse? I, you know, I read the verse. I, I should get the job, right? Ooh, what happens if two Christians are going for the same job and you're both quoting that verse? I can do all things. No, no, I can do all things. Well, no, I, I can do all things. You can do some things. I can do all So, it, and I'm not belittling or shortchanging what God can do. He can do miracles. And, and you know, last week, Pastor was talking about some things. And, and I just remember someone who, who prayed one time. He was saying, you know, do I believe in miraculous healing? I absolutely do. Does that mean that every single person I've prayed for has been healed? I can't say that that's true. But can I know want and know plenty? Can I have been hungry and have not been hungry? Is God good? And so I think the first, this, this big, big part of this is that. Can I know that God is good? Do I know him? Do I get to know him? Because the other part of that, and I, and I almost forgot that, so let me come back to that, is this. If you're not spending time knowing God, then one of the real big problems is you can get misled so easily. Real easy. Um, for example, you guys, God helps those who help themselves. Spoiler alert, not in the Bible. But I've heard people quote it. I've heard people say, you know, God only wants good things for me. I absolutely agree with that. But does that mean there won't be things along the road that are hard? Well, God only wants good things for me. This feels good. It must be okay. Why would God tell me not to have something that I really want? Doesn't he love me? I mean, you know, these, these are not things we don't hear they're not things I haven't thought myself. How can this be wrong, whatever it may be, if I really want it? I mean, doesn't God really want me to be happy at the end of the day? These are the questions we get into. But I go back to the twist in our soul because guess what? What have I done in all those cases? I've put me back in charge. I've put me back into the, but I really want that. I really need that. And by the way, let me, again, let me encourage. It doesn't mean that maybe you wanted something that would have been good for you. It, it doesn't mean that it wasn't. It just means this. This is the perspective. Can God be good whether I got it or I didn't get it? And I'll just be very transparent with you, and, and I'll do some more in a minute. Even believing this, sometimes it scares me because there's a little part of my voice going, you know, don't say that because what if something bad does happen and you're kind of put on the line for that? That's scary. I don't think that's not being human or a super Christian. I think it's being honest. Do I want great faith? Yes. Do I want the kind of faith Joseph had? Yes. Do I want the kind of faith Abraham had? Abraham, sacrifice your son. What? Do you know how long I waited to get a son? Do you know how that long that was my heart cry? And you want me to do that? Do you, are, can we vote? <laughs> you know, those kind of things. 
So it is scary. I'll be honest. Sometimes I have a little fear of those kind of things. That's just me. You know, I'm just being honest. But I think that that's the question God asks. In plenty and in want, is God good? You got the job you always wanted. God was good. When it comes time to move to a different job or another job doesn't open up, is God good? And if we don't keep that perspective then we get a twist in our soul. So, so we have this idea, God first, then others. That's that perspective. That's that godly perspective. I think it's built on believing that God is good and knowing him and, and putting that together. But what happens in life? I, you know, I didn't know, but Pastor Luke mentioned the minor prophets. And, and if you spend some time in the Old Testament, what do you see? You see that a lot of people who had faith or their parents had faith when they became in charge went way over here and they're nowhere near serving God. Or you'll see people who said he was a king, he followed God, the land's doing great, everybody's doing wonderful, and then what happens? They fall away. So if you're walking on this road of faith and you're saying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put God first and I'm trying to do these things, what are some things that keeps me going? Well, God is good. We've talked about that. And knowing him, we've talked about that. I think there's two things you have to do along the way. Be thankful. Um, there's a story in Luke 17 about 10 lepers who get healed. Jesus healed 10 lepers. 10 people get healed. One came back to say thank you. Have we ever prayed and prayed and prayed about something and it happened and we forgot to say thank you? Maybe, you know, maybe we're caught up in the, in the moment. Maybe we're, I have prayed for this. I am so, oh, it's so good. I, I was praying for a restoration between me and my brother and it happened and we, you know, and so it's not that we don't care, but I'm just wondering, do we ever go back and say thank you, God, specifically for that moment? Hopefully we do, and it's a good way to keep us aligned. But I also think that that does a second thing, which I think is even more important, and that's building memorials. You, you know, we're on Memorial Day weekend. So build memorials, and that can be a physical structure. You read in the Old Testament, there were times that they're like, we had to cross this river right here, and it was really bad, and so we built this, this tabernacle or this altar so we would remember so that people would walk by and go, hey, what's that? Oh, let me tell you what that is. This was a time God did something amazing for me. The other way we can build memorials is, is verbally. When I tell you what God has done for me, I'm building a memorial to that. Not only for you, but for myself. Because Solomon was given the greatest gift of wisdom that any leader has had. Solomon was speaking and God speaking to him. That's pretty amazing. What do you want to do? I want to be wise to lead your people. You could have asked for money and I'd have given it to you, but you didn't. Someone give you money. You could have asked for this. I'd have given it to you. You said you wanted to lead my people and you wanted to do the right thing. I'm giving you wisdom. And yet at the end of his life, Solomon's over here doing things that have nothing to do with God. And so I think that we build, we build these memorials, we do these things so that we can remember and we can realign. For my math people out there, you know what a tangent is? 
So a tangent, you, you start on a little tangent, and you've heard people get off on a tangent. And so we're talking about this right here, and then before long, they're over here. And a little bit later, they're over here. You have that relative that starts the story here, and then they're over here, and then they go over here, and it, it winds all the way around. And you're like, I thought this was the road we were going down. No. So a tangent would be if you want to drive to Dallas from here, and you decide to, you know, check out El Paso and Lubbock along the way. So a tangent also is as time goes, you get farther away. And so if we're not constantly being thankful and being reminding ourselves that God's goodness, then we can get on a tangent really fast. And if you want a great example of that, I'm just thinking that, again, I'll go Old Testament for a minute and say, hey, nation of Israel, you just saw the Red Sea part. You just saw your problems swept away. You just saw the freedom that you have craved for hundreds of years. How do we celebrate? Well, we go on our journey and things get really tough. We celebrated. We, we were dancing in the streets, probably literally, as we left. We get into this wilderness, and it got tough. And the first thing a couple of us said was, you know, we had it a lot better back in Egypt. Really? A couple other people go, oh, yeah. One of the quotes was, were there not graves enough in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? I, I mean... You know, you wonder if God's up there going, did, did you Red Sea? Anybody remember that? No. Because as a matter of fact, not too long after that, we decided we need two golden calves, and they brought us through the Red Sea. So in our own lives, when things get tough, if we don't have some of those memorials and we haven't had those touchstone moments, it's going to be real, real easy to drift away. And so we need that. So, I want to finish with this. And, um, you know, I'm not, not interested in trying to make things uh, manipulative, so I'm just going to be honest about a couple of things. I think that when you are going through a really tough time, when I'm going through a really tough time, it, it's sometimes easy on that perspective. You know, we talked about at the beginning, kids, why are you upset that a popsicle hit the floor? There's more popsicles they don't always get that. And I think sometimes it's real easy to look at someone and go, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say God is good. Man, you, you got the job you've always wanted. You've got the family. You know, and I'll just say this to encourage you on that because those tend to be things that people struggle with. So I, I do have four great sons and a great wife, and I'm super blessed. But I didn't get married till late in life. And I'll just tell you that all the stereotypes aside, there reaches times where Many guys also were going, man, it ain't never going to happen. What did I do wrong? And there were a lot of nights of, I'm so tired of not having anybody to be friends with and hang out with, and there's only so many times I can watch the same TV shows and all those kind of things. And then it can happen, and one of the perspective things is you can say, wow, now all that stuff doesn't seem as bad as it felt in the moment. Didn't mean it didn't hurt doesn't mean that you're not hurting with things. The question is always going to be, is God good? Would God still be good if I hadn't been blessed to finally have this? So I'll just be honest and finish with this. So um, 
when, uh, you know, I've mentioned multiple times now, because I'm very, I'm very grateful for family and, and, and our, our, our four boys. They're, they're awesome. I love them. But um, a couple of years ago, we um, uh, unplanned, because as I said, I'm no longer a spring chicken, as they say. We, um, we became pregnant, and we were going to have a fifth one. Uh, which was kind of shocking and surprising, and I was already um, excited, but doing the math of how I'll be, you know, like 84 and a kindergartner, but um, all those, you know, kinds of things. Um, and so, but, but obviously, because I've mentioned this several times, I have four great sons. So it's, it's very obvious that the pregnancy did not come to term. And um, it happened pretty early on. And uh, Rachel called me. I was at work, and she was upset because she knew. She knew something, you know, come now. And so I share this with you not to manipulate and not to make you feel emotional, but just to be honest. It was only about a 15-minute drive from my office to our house, and so I'm driving. And all I could pray at the time was, I know you're good, God. I know you're good. And I must be 100% honest with you. I'm sure there was a part of me going, God, if I can just keep saying you're good, you'll deliver. If I can just, you know, get to that point where I'm saying, you're so good, God, and I know you'll deliver. I know you'll deliver. I know you'll deliver. And, you know, whether it was to fight fear, whether it was because that's where I was, that's what I was doing. And all I can tell you, and it's still, you know, in a way, it's still challenging, even years later, is this. God is still good, and it didn't come out the way that I wanted it to, and it didn't come out the way I prayed for it to. And if I told you that doesn't mean that there's still not questions, that wouldn't be honest. But I can be honest to say that if God is good, then what it does open the door is for this, that the moments in our lives that are victorious and the moments in our lives that are tragic can go beyond us. And those moments can mean more than just the moment. And that's not always easy and not always fun, but it is a different perspective. And I think that we go back to keep God first, keep others the way we would love ourselves, and remember that God is good. And if we can do that, then I think that that's the perspective we should shoot for.